Lord, you deserve all worship and all praise. The promise that we have in you is um, not only eternal, but it's a thing that can get us up in the morning, the thing that gives us strength and power and enthusiasm to walk every day. It isn't a theoretical thing. It really needs to become, and Lord Jesus, we pray it would become um, a part of every thought. It would become a part of every prayer. It would become a part of everything we do. We just thank you for your great, great love for us and everything that you have promised us. And we say this and we give this back to you in your name. Amen. Well, ladies, this is Father's Day. And I'm only saying this, uh, I'm actually for a couple of reasons. Uh, this message is pretty much going to be aimed at the guys, right? So if you brought knitting with you, if you brought your quilt with you or whatever, go for it. There may be something for you to get out of this. But I will say this, your great ministry after this message uh, will be to take these guys off because um, they're going to need it. What in the world is this passage about today? I'm not going to read it yet, but, um, uh, you know, I was looking for a joke and I just could not find a decent one. Um, this message has something to do with asking for help. It really does. Uh, it's really woven right into this passage. And here's the deal. We are living in a time where we need help more than we ever have before. We are now at the highest suicide rate that we have ever been at as a country. I mean, if it was a, that was a positive thing, we could all be proud. But the problem is, it's not. Um, instead of things getting better with all of our technology and with all the social media and, and uh, everything else we have, it's just getting worse. I mean, this would be a good time to have men who would be able to stand up and fill the gap. The problem is, we don't have those men. And um, it's something that we are going to have to work with and struggle with a little bit. Because men are notorious at not asking for help. So, I Google, um, men not asking for help jokes. I thought there would be thousands of them out there. Did I get a shock? All of these very serious websites. Seven reasons why men don't ask for help. And stuff like that. Telling men to get on the stick and start asking for help for other, from, from people. See, here's the deal. If you don't ask for help, you never know how to give help. You think you do, but you don't. You know, it's the person who is willing to go and to ask and to receive who knows also how to give and, and detect when people need it and they're not talking about it. So the more men stay withdrawn, the less able they are to ask for help. And I'm, I'm seeing this stuff here. Uh, there's a, this little line, as soon as you ask for help, you empower the person who is helping you. And it's just like, like the, all the self-help baloney. And anyway... Seven reasons why men don't ask for help. We think we can do it all ourselves. All right. We think we are the only ones who have our problems. We're ashamed of where we are in life compared to others. And I think this is a lot of this is imaginary. I mean, you know, we get in our own little rabbit hole and we sit there and we think we're the only ones. We don't want to destroy 
how we think other people view us if they knew that I had this problem. We don't want to be judged for being ourselves. We fear rejection. We don't want to face the truth about ourselves. Now, somehow in this message, all of those things will be whittled at a little bit, but um, it's the Apostle Paul who's doing it, not me. So I just thought to save the day, I would go to my go-to guy for guy jokes, and that is Dave Barry. Dave Barry said, and I believe this is true, that the reason that men do not ask for directions is that there is a common unwritten law in the persona of all humanity that if a man asks another man for directions, that other man has the right to take his wife. And so a man is only trying to protect his wife by not asking for directions. We're doing it out of love. That's Dave Barry. So here's the deal, guys. We're going to be talking about men and asking for help. And that help is going to be from one another. All right? So if you have a Bible, let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Paul's final words in this letter. And we're starting at verse 13. Um, It says, Be watchful, stand firm in your faith, Act like men, be strong, let all you do be done in love. Now, there are a lot of people that question why Paul all of a sudden breaks into this refrain. Because if we read the whole chapter, and we're not going to, you would realize that this is sort of like a little junction here. And I've actually heard somebody preach this, and and people like this verse, but uh, the pastor basically said, but... You know, who knows why Paul got this into his heart to say this right now. And the reason is this. The Corinthian church needed help. They were asking for help. That's why they sent Sosthenes to Paul. It wasn't just because they had difficulties. They needed help. And there were true people there who were not getting involved in all the baloney, and they were saying, we don't know how to get out of this. There were other teachers there. Once you get into 2 Corinthians, you realize that the tunnel actually, or the hole was actually deeper than we understand it was here. Because they didn't respect Paul. And these other teachers were promoting a lot of silly things that the believers there, the men there, could not exactly handle. They were asking for help. How do you know that? Look at some of the verses just before that. Verse 5, I will visit you through passing through, uh, passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you and spend the winter. He says, but I can't come to you now. The Lord has opened a wide door for effective work, and there are many adversaries, and I've got to stay here in Ephesus. So Paul isn't able to come for help. Timothy's going to come. But here's the deal. They don't respect Timothy. So Paul says to them, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. For he is doing the work as I am, the Lord's work as I am, so let no one despise him. Timothy could have been a help. But there was some arrogance going on in that church. They're not going to listen to Timothy. But you know the funny thing about Timothy? Is that in about five years from when this letter is written, he is going to wind up going to the church in Ephesus where Paul is writing this. And the church of Ephesus has had a major catastrophe. 
So much so that Paul gives Timothy apostolic authority to go in and just appoint elders because they had been blown so far apart. Timothy was a good man, but they didn't respect Timothy, so they're not going to get any help out of Timothy. They want big guns, right? They feel like they need big guns. And so the next thing out of the box is, what about Apollos? Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. You know, it's one of these things where if you're in, you do negotiations or whatever, and you realize this group is a very high-maintenance group. It's like, really, do I want to go there? It's like, you know, do I want to inflict pain on myself? Well, they love this church, but Apollos couldn't go there either. And that's where verse 13, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all you do be done in love. So, just walking through this verse, these people needed help, and Paul is saying, first and foremost, you need to live your faith. You need to be intentional, uh, intention, intentional about living this life with Jesus Christ. And before we get into the words, I'm just going to say, you know, I've been following the Lord for 40-some years, and I've, almost all of those years I've been in leadership, and it just astounds me how unintentionally I follow, how unintentionally most men follow. In our minds, theoretically, we think that. I'm serious about the faith. But it doesn't exactly work itself out the way it needs to. So Paul says these things. Be watchful. Uh, Just for trivia, the world is Gregor. The root of the word is Gregor. Some people name their kids Gregory. That's where you get that from, watchfulness. Remember what Paul says in Ephesus, uh, uh, in the letter to the Ephesians? Walk circumspectly, looking all around you, being aware of the times. But see, that is part of a lifestyle. That is part of actually living with God. Is if, if there were wild animals out there, when you walked out the door, you would be aware of this. It wouldn't take a preacher to tell you there's a bad guy out there, that we have an enemy. You would walk in the awareness of that enemy. You would walk in the awareness of the fact that people need help. You would walk in the awareness of the fact that God has appointed you and maybe even anointed you to do work and you would be walking in that awareness. You would be watchful. Be watchful. Stand firm in your faith. What exactly is the faith? Stand firm in your faith. I mean, this is like a powerhouse. This is like dynamite right here. Your faith means that you understand that you have been saved by grace. And I don't mean that just as religious baloney. You were lost. You should have died. This whole world is in trouble. But there is a sovereign God who called your name and the Father drew you to His Son. You are someone special. But that involves all of life. 
That involves the fact that the world, this world as we know it is going to end. That involves the fact that Jesus is coming back. That involves the fact that the work is now. This commands your life. This commands your hands. This commands your vision. Stand firm in your faith. Don't sleep in it. One of the songs that I remember that, that gripped me early was a song by Keith Green called Asleep in the Light. And realizing that that is so possible. We have this wonderful faith. But these are like marching orders. This is something that directs us. This is something that gives us mission. This is something that gives us purpose. Be watchful. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. And the ESV, uh, the RSV says courageous. The ESV gives you the literal translation. Be men. Man up. Man up. So I can't say that to the women, right? I could go, whoa, man up. But... I mean, Paul's got a lot of guts to say this, doesn't he? I mean, that's basically what he's saying to him. I mean, if you were putting it in the Koine Greek, he's saying, man up. Act like men. What does that mean? That means standing in the gap. That means being the guy who's equipped to help. That means being active. Living your faith, not just recognizing faith, not just assenting to faith. Living like all of this stuff. I remember one time, um, right after I came to Christ, I was, uh, I was learning, I had learned small engine repair. I'm sitting at this anvil and I'm, um, I'm fixing this thing with a, something with a hammer and massaging it. And, you know, I knew it would eventually work if I beat it in submission. And I'm having this weird thought about what if the Lord came right now? as I'm beating this thing on, the, on, the, on the, uh, the vice. And the first thought that came to me was, it was all real. What if I had lived every day as if it was all real? And I think that's what Paul is saying here. You need to start living like it is all real. Stand firm in your faith. Be a man. Be strong. Be strong. What does that mean? I think it means get in shape. Be in shape. I mean, spiritually speaking, I've heard Howard Hendricks say this before too. He said, it's a good thing we don't dress at church according to our spiritual maturity. He said there'd be a lot of big people wearing baby clothes. Are you in shape? Are you in shape? If the fight comes to you, are you in shape? Do you know how to endure? Do you know how to burn through the resistance? Do you know how to keep your spiritual life in order? And you know me, right? Because I'm going to go right to discipleship on this thing. Are you in the Word? Every day. Are you gleaning from Jesus? This isn't about being in the Bible. This is about being at Jesus' feet. Hearing from Him. You know, 
I, I said something that the Lord kind of caught me with something on Friday night uh, when I was giving that last address. The Bible is a book of precepts. You can look at it like that, precept after precept after precept. You young people, you're in trouble if you think that the Bible is a book of precepts. Because here's the idea. If you take our precepts and compare them to somebody else's precepts, who knows who's going to win? That They say be good to people, we say be good to people. This isn't about precepts, it is about a person. And as you get to know that person, the Bible explodes into another a whole other world. It becomes a communication device. John 14, in that day when the Holy Spirit comes, you will know that I am in the Father and you and me and I and you. We are hooked up. We're hardwired. Well, maybe that's Wi-Fi. I don't know. But we're wired together. And the Bible then, because of this person who we are with every single day talking to us, becomes this amazing communication device. I have read stuff this week that has warned me. I have read stuff this week that has galvanized me. And you need that too. We cannot be in shape. We are only fooling ourselves if we sleepwalk through our life with God. We have to be intentional. So Paul is saying to them, Help? Here's how you start. You start with yourself. You can't teach what you don't know. You cannot lead where you won't go. So here's the deal, guys. In order to be a disciple, you have to become a disciple. You have to submit yourself to the process of being discipled. You go to most churches nowadays, and if you ask the average layperson, how do you become a disciple? What, how, how do you lead someone to become a disciple? They have no clue. We are truly in a crisis nowadays. I saw another article on it this last week. And here's the thing. It's actually very simple, but, but most people will not submit themselves to it. They don't want to get in shape. See, if you get into a group, and you guys, or women, I mean, because really and truly this, this applies to everybody here, and you are actually accountable to one another. I don't like to be accountable to anybody. You can't be a disciple. You're accountable to somebody. You're in a group with men. Wouldn't that be a novelty? Men in groups with men, they might actually be able to help each other. And then you're in this group and you're seeing what the process is of seeing someone actually being in the Word every day and starting to catch fire. But see, that's what we do with other people. And it blows my mind because we men are just all independent geniuses. Somebody say, well, you know, that's like baby stuff for me. I don't like the one in your Bible. It's not about you. It's about teaching the lambs. It's about guiding the sheep. I was at Dallas Seminary, and I worked for Child Evangelism Fellowship at that time, and I, I had this group of seminary guys, right? And I'm going to teach them how to teach little kids. And well, you know, 
I don't think I need to start right here. I think I'd be able to start weighing back there with a hypostatic union. Hypostatic? What? I, is that like a, uh, a fluid-driven transmission? I don't know what that thing is. Anyway, they, they want to go all the way to... You start here at the baby steps. How often have you heard these stories about the captain of the ship who actually started as a yeoman on the deck, or a guy in the deck, and all he's doing is swabbing the deck? That's how you start. But we don't want to do that. We don't want to submit ourselves to a process. But unless you learn to be a disciple, you cannot make disciples. You can't teach what you don't know. You can't lead where you won't go. Paul is saying to this group of people, Man up. Be strong. Get yourselves in shape. And we don't like doing that. You know where, you know, a lot of you people, I don't know, you know, especially kids, right? You've come out of really great homes. I mean, like, amazingly wonderful homes. I can't even imagine what that was like, you know? And you, and you go, oh, yeah, but, but Dan, you've got this testimony. And John, he, yeah, he makes my testimony look like a Sunday school picnic, right? Here's the deal. You want a testimony? You want to get your own testimony of blood and guts and fighting? Start doing this stuff. Start getting involved in the lives of non-Christians. But you know where the first resistance you, you, you get is? From yourself. You don't want to be in shape. You don't want to witness for Jesus Christ. You don't want to disciple other people for Jesus Christ. You want a comfortable life sitting in a pew. And you are your own greatest enemy. But you know what happens if you do get out there and you start doing that? If you really do start disciplining yourself, you realize what the grace of God means to you because you've got to fight against yourself every day. That is Romans chapter 7, right? And Paul says in chapter 7, I couldn't have done it without chapter 8, the Holy Spirit. But if you try to follow, you will have your own testimony. You will have your own testimony of how God breaks through. And you start working with non-Christians, you will have great testimonies. The first thing that's going to happen to you, if you don't lead someone to Christ right away, is you're going to wonder, how in the world did I get saved? Because it is so hard working with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. And when you start facing that darkness, it starts making the light look a lot different. And when God breaks through, you see miracles, and those become your miracles and your testimony. But you got to follow. This last week, you know, I'm getting ready for camp, right? I'm getting ready for camp. Holy moly, pray for me, please. Uh, I'm getting ready to go to camp. And so um, I thought, you know, I got myself on an exercise regimen, but I, I, I upped the ante this last Monday. And so I figured, you know, um, I, by, the, by the time I get to camp, I want to be able to run as fast as Bill. That's not going to happen. I know. But, yeah, you know, I was thinking, you know, if, if I ran a race against you, there'd have to be somebody at the end of the race with a defibrillator. But I thought, no, what would even be better is if I strapped it on and I ran with a long extension cord. I might be able to beat him. Anyway. But here's what I'm telling you. The A.C. went out in our house. I started on Monday and the A.C. went out in our house. I mean, that's discouraging. So I'm in my hot garage. I mean, the whole house was hot. It didn't matter where I went. It was just so hot. Exercise. I don't want to exercise. And then I was doing more repetitions of what I normally do. Oh, and my body is yelling, 
Dan, stop it. You're going to get a heart attack again. What do I do? I just keep doing it. Because somewhere, you know, I was on some track team or cross country where they basically said, run through the pain. So I thought, oh, you know, I mean, I should come out here and, you know, my body will be half-baked. But, um, but here's the deal. I didn't listen to those voices. I just kept going. And I'm standing you, I'm standing here before you right now. <laughs> it's a very broken note. Um, the pains went away because I just kept exercising. And I'm just saying that, guys, what Paul is saying right here in these two verses is that you need to get on track. Get yourself in shape. All of these little points of our theology and doctrine are really important points, and they are the foundation of the way we are to live our lives every single day. So, are you willing to get into a discipleship group? Are you really willing to get on with this? I know you're busy. So anyway, forget that stuff now. Let's look at verse 15. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the house of, household of Stephanus were the first converts in Archaica, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I'm going to just stop there. Stephanus and his household. Who in the world were these guys? But think of the context of help here. These are the people that some of these Corinthians would not have thought of going to. Now the idea, they have devoted themselves to the, servants of the, the service of the saints. They didn't have the specialization back then that we have today. You know, like... Bill can sit back in the sound booth if that was all he did, and Bill does more than the sound booth. But you know what I mean. In other, in other words, how do you serve at church? Well, I'm in the sound booth. Okay. How do you serve at church? I take out the garbage. But see, they didn't have that back then. There was no specialization. These men, and, and the spiritual gift of service is in the lives of other people. And this is kind of intriguing here because what Paul is saying is you already have people to help you, but they're servants. Are you willing to be led or talked to by a servant? So look at what he says about him here. It says, Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Archaica. Archaica, you know, I don't know how to say that. And they, devoted, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. They have devoted themselves. They have given themselves. This is what they do. They go around helping people. And they also help Paul. He says here, be subject to these labors. Verse 17, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Archicus, uh, Archie, Fred, and Steve. Um, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Now, this is talking about something they were able to do. They refreshed my spirit as well as is yours. Give recognition to such people. I didn't think in, we were supposed to give recognition to people. But Paul says do it right here, so I guess it's okay. These are, these are servants in the church. Now, where it says that he refreshed my heart as well as yours, this is Steph, Stephanus' ministry and his family among the people. 
this isn't just giving out food or benevolence. There is something that is coming in this. With this refreshing, there is a spiritual element. This is the same word that Jesus uses when he says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Jesus gives us that rest because we take his yoke upon him, on, on us, and we learn from him. The word learn and learn, where Jesus has learned from me, that word learn is the verb form of the word disciple. A disciple is someone who learns from Jesus. How does he give us rest? How did Stephanus have, and his family have this ministry? They came in and they served, but they brought the spiritual element. They were able to distill the word of God. So, here's what I'm thinking for us guys. Um, you know, women have like, like sewing circles. And they have uh, little knitting things, you know, and they give themselves cute names like knitwits and things like that. And they're not, but, you know, that, uh, this group named themselves that. So I have an idea what we can do. We'll get into groups, and what we'll do is we'll mend nets. I mean, at least we're doing something, right? I mean, that's something that most of us can handle, even with big fingers, you know? In other words, you take the ends of nets... And then you either tie them together or you take other thread and you get through there and you get a stronghold on one side and then you loop it around the other and you, you tie that. And that's what we could do. We could get together and, and in a group and we could just mend little nets like that. Wouldn't that be cool? I think that would be so cool if we did that because that would be practically doing something. So, the reason I said that is because I think this is sort of the stuff that they were doing in the New Testament. Guys were getting together. Oh, that word men nets, that's out of Ephesians chapter 4. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To equip is a word that is used for mending nets. See, discussing with one another, discussing on a spiritual level, and there are a lot of nets that get mended that way. That idea of mending nets and equipping is equipping to make useful for ministry. You made the nets useful by mending them. Now you can throw them back in. And see, the thing is, is we men don't do that with us with each other. We'll take a Sunday school class or we'll have a special meeting. But you know what? All of that baloney about quality time for the 80s, what a cop-out that was. You know, yeah, you're a busy man, so just spend quality time with your son. Son, we're going to have quality time right now. You know what the lie of that was? You only have quality time when you have quantity of time. If you're not there, you know, you've got like, you know, 30 minutes out of a week. What a terrible 30 minutes that's going to be if you're going to try to milk that for everything. You spend time in men need to be spending time with men. You know, where do the questions finally come up? How does the trust get built for any of us to open up with someone else and then really find a spiritual answer? Because you know what I do? I probe people. You know? I remember going up to this elder at our uh, the first assembly I was ever at. And, he, you know, he, he was a pretty good guy and everything. And so I asked him, I said, well, hey, Joe, what do you think about... Um, you know, I mean, you know, like, what would you say is the, you know, uh, would be important for marriage? 
And he looks at me and he goes, well, Danny, um, um, well, a lot of give and take there, Danny. And uh, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And I'm standing there going, this guy's out to lunch on this topic. Didn't spend enough time with people. See, he didn't spend enough time with other people to learn how to actually help other people. You do it by being in groups. Where do you see discipleship in the Bible? I mean, in the New Testament. I mean, in the Gospels. Why, it's with Jesus, right? I mean, isn't that the promise that we're all given? I, I, I can still jump up and down for joy thinking about that one. I would have loved to have been with Jesus Walking, I, 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 oh, I would have loved to have been there. I don't care how hot it was or whatever. It would, have been, it would have been great to be in that group. You don't know. You and I both do not know discipleship outside of a group. So guys, why do we spend so much time by ourselves? Why are we alone? See, Stephanus had this ministry of always being with people. Mending nets. Serving them, refreshing their heart. And that refreshment only comes through Jesus Christ. But we won't do that. And this isn't a new problem, it's an old problem. I remember, and you know, why I listen to stuff like this, right? I bring my own problems on myself. Howard Hendricks. The, the chapel in Wauwatosa had a tape library. Uh, so many people don't know what these were. Uh, these were like little rectangles, and there were tape in them. Not scotch tape or anything, but, oh, forget it. Anyway, go to Goodwill. You can still find some sometimes. But anyway, so they had this tape library from uh, Howard Hendricks on leadership. And, I mean, talk about starting on fire. Hendricks would go like this. He would say, if I come onto your base... If I come into your college group, the first question I'm going to ask you is, what do you want? And if you can't tell me without stuttering what you want, you're not a leader. Second question I'm going to ask you is, where are your men? And if you cannot point to a core of men in whose lives you are building, friend, I'll clue you, you're not a leader. And the Holy Spirit would just hold me down and keep ramming that stuff in my ear. But the reality that Hendricks was getting at, and this is why Hendricks devoted his entire life to this stuff, mentoring, discipleship, is that if we're not spending time with people, one, we can't learn it, right? You can't teach what you don't know. You're not willing to go through the process. You're not going to be able to help someone else become a disciple who makes a disciple. You can't teach what you don't know. You can't lead where you won't go. Now, the other part of that song, by the way, it's by Carmen, goes, cry, turn blue, but whatever you do, you better get your business straight with God. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. So let's get out of this passage before it just wrecks us. And Paul is saying here, when you have people like this, they don't even have to be elders. They don't even have to have a job title. But they are intentional about ministry. They are intentional about this. And Paul says, one, be subject to them. Two, give them recognition. Because these are the people. These are the, the you know, what, what runs an assembly? The mouth. The hand. But what happens 
if the artery goes out on you. Ooh, arteries are ugly. Have you ever seen an artery? You'd never put one up on the wall. Never put a picture of it up on the wall. But when an artery goes out, mouth stops, hand stops. Actually, the message finishes, and then we're, we're good to go home. And, but the point being, they're important. They're what make a church a, an assembly work. So, verse 19. The churches of Asia send greetings to you. Aquila and Prisca, together in the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Paul, you know, we, we all talk about Paul's greetings at the end of his letters. Paul was never alone. There are no lone rangers in disciple-making. There are only ever groups in disciple-making. There are only ever women ministering to women. Titus 2.4, ladies. And really, the women's ministry here is you know, outstanding. But, but even then, if you're thinking about it on a closer level, you look at what, what uh, Paul tells Titus in Titus 2.4. That is not just something you can take care of on one day. This is th- we we're talking about networks of women going out and intentionally discipling and mentoring other women. It always happens in groups. You get to the end of, of uh, Romans... And you look at all these people that Paul is talking about. Paul was never alone. He was with uh, Barnabas and, and, uh, and John Mark. But there were other guys there too that you don't hear about. John Mark flies off. Well, they kept on going. He was with Silas. He was with Titus. He was with all sorts of people. Who are we with? Sunday is not what cuts it. If we're going to live this kind of intentional life with Jesus Christ, and then, right at the end, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Then we're going to get back to love now. <laughs> what a funny way. Um, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. So the measure of all things for Paul was your love for the Lord. Let, and it says here in verse 14, let all you do be done in love. Love for who? Love for Jesus Christ. It's so serious. Let all you do be done in love. And if anyone has no love for the Lord, now I wouldn't say this, I get fired for saying this. Paul says it. God says it through Paul. But here's the deal. When you read the letter to the Corinthians, when you get in chapter 15, Paul takes this little time to say, some among you have no knowledge of the Lord, and I say this to your shame. Not that there were unbelievers in the congregation, They were unbelievers in the leadership. You have let people come in who actually have no knowledge of the Lord. And he says, I say that to your shame. Paul could talk to the elders like that. Why? Because he's Paul. And he's dead now and, you know, you can't do anything to him. Right now, he'd probably have lawsuits and all sorts of stuff. But it's the love for the Lord that makes the world go around here. Guys, that is why you wake up early in the morning. That is why you discipline your heart and your mind in Jesus Christ. That is why you train yourself to be available for other people, to know how to answer the questions, and to be there in groups where men need support. Because, again, you've got to be in those groups for a while before anybody trusts you enough to even want to share with you. Okay, we're going to have a group right now. Everybody share. I'm not sharing. Let all you do be done in love. 
And it is love for Jesus Christ. And then Paul says, our Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in in Christ Jesus. Amen. Paul backed that up with his life. Paul could take his shirt off and show you the writing of Jesus Christ upon his chest and his back. He bore the scars. But Paul did it gladly that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. That if possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead, that I might be able to live right now as if I'd already been resurrected with that kind of seriousness and focus and power and strength to follow Jesus Christ. Not that I've already done it, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me His own. It's love. And then he goes and he says, let all of you who are mature be thus minded. And I said, well, apparently I'm not mature because I don't want that to happen to me. But that's what Paul says. But see, he can get away with saying that because he's dead. All right? So what are you going to do? I would say go home and get a good meal. But what I would also say is this. Make your walk, if you love Jesus Christ, <laughs> I think this is what Paul's saying, um, make it intentional. You know, I know that some of you guys work and are so busy, and maybe this isn't the time to be in a group. But what I would say then is you can still do push-ups, right? You can do push-ups in your office. You can go to the back of the plane and do push-ups. I think you're crazy, but you can if you want. You can still stay in shape and be in the Word every day. You can still do that stuff. That isn't required, you know, to be in the group. But eventually, when the Lord gives you an opening, I really think you need to do it. I think you need to get in a group. Scott and Bill are ready to take on people right now in another discipleship group. Because you see, it's disciples making disciples who make disciples. Well, if disciples make disciples and you haven't made a disciple, how can you be a disciple? I don't know. I'll leave that to... You know, somebody else to figure out. But the point is, is just the process. Are you willing to get involved in the process? Roy and JP are willing to start another group of guys. Are you willing to get involved? I can take on more people. We can do couples groups. But what I'm saying here and what I think Paul is saying is we need to be very intentional about this. We need to be watchful. We need to stand firm in our faith. We need to man up, guys. We need to be strong. And everything we do needs to be done out of the love of Christ. And if it's not out of the love of Christ, then we need to question our motives. And, you know, I'll just end with this. So Jesus, you know, I mean, Jesus got so excited about this stuff, right? I mean, and he could because he was him. But there's this one point where he's teaching the disciples, and he says this. He says, little children, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You're going to get a kingdom. It is a Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You! So, go ahead and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and you have treasure in heaven. And then, go and gird your loins and light your lamps and be ready for me. And we're going, what? Oh, Jesus was excited about it. And what we need are some guys to get excited here. 
You're a good group of guys. You are such a mousy group of guys. Who's willing to dare something big for the kingdom of God? This was Hendricks' lament. He said, who will dream some dreams for the sake of Jesus Christ? Everything hasn't been done yet. Are you willing to do it? He says, but we got guys at the seminary, 35 years old, they're already dead in the head and everywhere else. And he said, their epitaph will be died, 35, buried, 82. Are you willing to get excited about the things that made Jesus and Paul and all the great disciples in the Bible excited? And it starts by submitting yourself to learning how to be a disciple and how to make disciples who make disciples. And you do that out of love for Jesus Christ. If you love me, you will abide in my word. And this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. This is not easy. I mean, I struggle with this every single day of my life. And I know, I think, I think if we're honest, we will all say we struggle with it. But there has to be that time where uh, even in our weakness and in our pain and in our uh, maybe low opinion of ourselves, we just say enough is enough. I'm just tired of being sick and tired of me, you know. i got to do something. And Father God, I would, be, I would just pray for the men in this church to be brave and to be bold, to man up, just like Paul said. And for the sake of Jesus Christ, if he really means that much to us, then to get excited and to start getting involved and to be trained to be disciples who make disciples and have an impact in this world, and who knows what you'll do, but it won't. This kind of stuff isn't happening around the world. It's not even happening in the U.S. And as much as we talk about we, the commitment to do it, somehow we wind up putting all of our energy in our jobs and our careers and in comfort and other things, and we just don't produce the fruit that I'm, I'm sure is out there. So, Father, help us. I pray for these guys. I pray that you would uh, bless them and show mercy upon them. I pray that your spirit would overwhelm their hearts with your goodness and what you're calling them to. This is the task on earth right now. This is the great adventure. There is no adventure like this one right now. And, you know, the vacation is coming, and uh, the tables are set in heaven somewhere, and we'll be able to sit down and, and... talk about all this stuff, but I don't want to get there and have nothing to talk about. I don't want to get there and say, well, I just hid in my garage or I hid somewhere else and, you know, I had all these great thoughts and I never just got off my rear end and did something about it. So I just pray for us all. And I pray that the grace of Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus Christ and the goodness of Jesus Christ and the fact that he's our king and our master would overwhelm us. And ask this in your name.